Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Good morning! Hey, I like that out there. That's pretty good. It's like an echo, huh? Um, Before we begin today... um, I want to just give you uh, one more announcement, um, and that is, uh, if you put it up on the screen, um, yeah, that's my name, don't worry it out, but anyway, I put that on the screen. Uh, every year, we um, do fundraising here for Kern Life Services. Kern Life Services is a parachurch ministry, they're located just down the street, and um, they are on the front lines of trying to lead people, lead women to keep their babies and not abort them. So it's a very important ministry. And we fundraise every year. It culminates with Walk for Life on October 2nd where people actually walk, you know, walk for life to show that we believe in the life of the unborn child. The ways to give are here. NBCC.com um, slash give, text amount and baby to 84321. Mark your physical offering envelope for Corn Life Services. All checks must be made to NBCC and we give all the money straight to them. We've been doing it for years and years now, and many people rise up and just asking you to pray how much you want to give that. We're gonna, I'm gonna announce this to you three times today, and then two more Sundays, so that we can raise as much money as possible because they are purely nonprofit. They have no other sources of revenue. They must do fundraisers, and they have saved so many babies and allowed these babies to live and experience life. Amen to that one. So, pray about that. Um, Today I want to talk about uh, titles, The Shutdown. Someone, it's something that's very dear to my heart. And um, if you're first time with us, I'm in the middle of this series. It's the culmination of 32 years of, base, of, of dealing with myself and writing down all the thoughts and all the notes and trying to put it all together of my personal journey uh, and mine specific one, I'm an adult child, an alcoholic, and uh, there's 80 million of me right now in America. And I was talking to Steve Mason in the, in the room back there. Just because your parent was not an alcoholic, if your grandparent was or the great-grandparent was, if they never dealt with, if they got off alcohol eventually, but they never dealt with the emotional, relational issues, those things pass down too. Because they're, they're ingrained you, you, by modeling and you learn them. So... You, you want to be aware of those things. But your story is not like mine. My story is not like yours. But they all have commonality to them. Today I'm going to take you down the road of the shutdown. Something that's very real in my life. And I know it's in the life of many because I've counseled many people over the last 30-something years. It's as real as it gets. I'm a Superman fan. Any Superman fans? Three of you. God bless you. Wow. In all these people, only three people. How many like Superman? Okay. Okay, how many of you ladies are married to Superman? You laugh? Wow. I like Superman because Superman has a man cave, doesn't he? He's got, it's called the Fortress of Solitude. And he goes up to his man cave and he gets to be there by himself. Sometimes he talks to his dad, you know, Marlon Brando or Russell Crowe, depending on the movie. Right? But, Russell, but Superman always has to come. He's always got to leave uh, the Fortress of Solitude and he's got to come back, and he comes back to relate to people. His mother, Martha Kent, uh, Jimmy Olsen, um, you know, Perry White. But most of all, he relates to Lois Lane. 
And so he comes down, he communicates and relates with people. He doesn't just stay shut down, shut in, in his fortress of solitude. Well, today I want to talk about this whole idea of shutting down. I was, um, this was probably, this happened about six, seven years ago. And I was uh, driving home, it was about an hour and a half drive, uh, with a person that I knew very well. And we had similar backgrounds. And his marriage had blown up. It was divorce, everything. And I thought, and I don't do this often, but when I feel like the Spirit prompts me, I'm going to do it. And I felt a prompting that I needed to go for it. I needed a probe. And he couldn't, you know, he couldn't get away. He's driving. He can't kick me out. I'm on the freeway. So I got a captive audience. And so I start to probe. And I probe, and I start by telling, you know, sharing my story, and this is what I learned, and all these things, and this is how I would destroy relationships and stuff like that, and and pretty soon, he starts opening up, and he starts sharing. And I'll never forget, he said two things specifically that I wrote down, that, and I put in my notes years ago, and I want to read them to you. He said this. He said, I would cry to make my mom and dad stop fighting. And then about 20 minutes later, he made this statement. I'm not going to let anyone hurt me because I got hurt enough growing up. Guys, this was coming from a guy over 60 years old whose marriage had blown up because he shut down and he wasn't going to share at all. He wasn't going to let the real guy come out. And so everything fell apart on him. Some of us know exactly what that feels like. I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about the shutdown. But first, I want to rehearse a little bit of what we've been doing because I want to instill the foundation of what I'm talking about in us. So I'm still going to do this a few more times, I think, for sure. But here's where the root cause, here's where everything begins in every one of our lives. Every issue, every dysfunction, everything. In Genesis 2.25, it says this. Read it with me up on the screen. Here we go. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not shame. Now you find in the beginning, you have Adam and Eve, they're naked, and they're not ashamed. The word ashamed means to be disappointed, but they're not disappointed. So there they are, standing naked with each other, and there's, there's no flaws, there's nothing, there's nothing to hide. But then the serpent gets manipulated by Satan, and gets Adam, or gets Eve to bite the fruit, and gives it to Adam, he bites, they sin. It's the one thing they couldn't have, but they go ahead and take it. So the result of that is found in Genesis 3-7, and here it is one of the results it says then the eyes of both of them were opened and they say the word and they say it again and they they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings so let me back up a, few, a verse where Satan through the serpent had told Eve if you eat of that fruit um, God knows God knows that um, you'll be like God knowing good and evil See, there'll be a knowing that you have, a new enlightenment. And so they bite. And now they knew something that they shouldn't know. See, he was, they were promised enlightenment, but they were delivered disappointment. Have you ever noticed sin does that? Sin always promises it's going to be great, but eventually it delivers disappointment in a person's life. And the result is they begin to hide from each other. They sow fig leaves together. Now they're hiding from each other. But it doesn't end there. Not, not only are they going to hide from each other, now who, watch who they're going to hide from. Verses 8 and 9, it says this. 
They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Trees means leaves, more leaves. Fig leaves, now more leaves are hiding in. Verse 9. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Now, not only are they hiding from each other with these fig leaves, and now there's distance, we've covered that, and now uh, they're putting distance between themselves and God. Everything is starting to separate. Everything is becoming, uh, beginning to unravel. Now, I want you to think about it again. Life was perfect. They had intimacy. They had trust. They had closeness. There was no division. I mean, they shared. They were open. And then they sinned. And all of a sudden, everything changes. Shame enters into the world. Suddenly, I'm naked. Now, remember, I told this twice already. Eve was physically perfect she's physical perfection she would blow away every Hollywood starlet she would blow away every Miss Universe that's ever lived all combined she would blow them away once she sins nothing's changed physically about her but all of a sudden her perception what she now knows is something different and she looks at herself and now she's gone from unashamed to shame now something's wrong with me. I'm disappointed. I don't measure up. There's some things here that I don't really like. Because now he promised she'd know something, but now she knew something, and it's not helping whatsoever. Promises enlightenment, delivers disappointment. Now, remember, and here's the statement. I want you all to read it, because I want you to get it. This is the one statement you've got to get through the whole series. Here we go. One, two, three. Sin says, I've done wrong. I've done bad. Shame says, I'm wrong. I'm bad. Okay, look up at me. Sin says, I've done wrong, I've done bad. Shame says, I'm wrong, I'm bad. Guilt has to do with behavior, what I've done. Shame has to do with identity, who I am. And that's where the attack begins. It's who I am. You see, all of a sudden they're hiding because who they are, they don't know who they are quite anymore. And they're hiding from each other and God. And that's what shame does. So let's do the math. Here's how the math goes. Shame is a result of sin. Correct? Correct? Has everyone sinned? Yes. Therefore, everyone has shame. That's right. And remember what I told you before. Let's put the statement up. Various degrees, variety of departments. In other words, this is how we excuse ourselves and say, that's not me. Well, wait a minute wait a minute it's various degrees I may have shame in this department of my life 80% you may have it 3% but in this other area you may have shame 90% I may have it 15% and there's we all have about a thousand different departments of our life so it's various degrees variety of departments this shame thing and I always tell people I said it last week I'll say it today and I'll say it in the future shame the way I try to describe it to people is like an octopus but instead of having eight tentacles, it's got about a million tentacles. It goes into all these pockets and crevices and areas of our life. And now the abnormal becomes normal until our eyes open up in God and we start to undo the abnormal parts of our life. Amen to that one? Now, today we're tackling the next thing. It's about a 10-week series, guys. This is week three. Here's what I'm going to do. Point one is going to be like a 45-second point. Point two is going to drill down deeper. And then point three is going to drill down and dig it all out. And then we'll finish off and we'll drive it home. Sound like a good plan? Yeah. Okay, here we go. And all I ask is just be open. Be open to yourself. The first thing, point one, is they are now close but distant. 
They are not close, but they are distant. Now, here's how, what I mean by that. Look at verses 8, 9, and 10 of Genesis 3, which we'll read again and again and again. There's so many little nuances in there. Watch this. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, walking in the... walking in the... oh, in the garden, in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord among the trees of the... of the garden. Okay. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Question, had God ever seen him naked before? Yeah. And now all of a sudden something changes. Now, where are they all, God, Adam, and Eve, are all dwelling in what area? The garden. That's right. They're all in close proximity to each other. Of course, God's everywhere all the time. Close proximity to each other, and yet they're distant. Are they not? Because they're wearing fig leaves now, and they're hiding in the trees. Huh, that's interesting. You can dwell in the same home. You can dwell in the same household, and yet be close physically, uh, and yet be distant. Am I right? You can feel very alone in those situations, can you not? You can have a marriage now that veers off and goes distant, 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 and yet you're in the same house, but, and you're married, you're close physically, but you can feel so far away emotionally. Any amens of that one? That's a reality of life, and you, that's why marriage takes work in the fallen nature. It just doesn't happen. People who get married and think, we'll get married, and we're just going to live on love. Oh, shut up, okay? <laughs> it takes a lot of work, does it not? It takes a lot of work to maintain a very good marriage, relationship, etc. Now, think about it. They have established already previous to this close-knit relationship with Adam and Eve, each other, and with God. And now all of a sudden, this close-knit relationship, they are physically close, but now they are distant. That's wild to me. Now, it leads me to point two, and here we go. Let's drill a little further. Now, <clears throat> probing questions are diverted. This is a biggie. Look at verse 9 again. It says, Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Everybody now. And said to him, Where are you? At home. And said to him, You could help them, by the way, okay? At home. And said to him, There we go. He says, Where are you? Now, I told you last week, I teased you with this one. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it further. Does God not know where Adam is? It's like, said, Adam, Adam, you've gotten so good at hide and go seek. I have no idea where you're at. Those bushes are so thick, I don't know where you're at. God knows exactly where Adam is physically. God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. God is ever at the same time. He knows where Adam is at. So this cannot be a question of physically, where are you, Adam? This is more like this. It's like God is asking Adam, Adam, where are we in this relationship? Where are we together? In this? How's, this, how's our relationship working out here? Because you're hiding now. And think of the question, Adam, where are you? Not a physical question, but where, how are we doing here? It now requires, it's a probing question. It requires that Adam open up, talk, share, communicate what's happening on the inside. Now, Adam, he opens up a little bit and he says, I was, uh, I was afraid. But we also know later on in the verses He's also going to sit there and he's going to say, but you know what, God? It was that woman you gave me. She's the one who gave me the fruit and I ate from that tree. Now, notice what he just did. God asked the probing question. 
Adam gives a little answer, I'm afraid. But then he twists it around and he diverts it and he pins it back on the woman, right? But he also pins it back on who? On God. He says, the woman you gave me. Right? See, there's a probing question, but then he diverts it. How many of you are like me in, in relationships? You're like the prosecuting attorney. Be honest. Raise your hand. Raise your leg. Now, I know, and I remember, I, I don't remember the exact moment, but I remember, I, I'm the type of guy for the first so many years in, in my marriage. And some of you are good at this. You could spin their head around fast. They'll ask you a probing question, and you start to spin it and spin it and spin it. You'd be a great politician. And spin it and spin it until it's their fault, right? Am I right? I, rem I, I would do that to Olivia all the time. Proud of it. No, I'm not proud of it. <laughs> and then I remember the day. I remember the day when she, she went like this. She goes, stop it right there. I know exactly what you're doing. And I thought, oh my gosh, she figured this one out. <laughs> because I would spin it around. We'd get in these conversations and I'd spin it around. And I'd pin it back on her. You know, it was the woman. God, it was, it was your fault. And so the probing questions would come and then I would divert it and I would push it and push it away. And I would continue to be shut down emotionally from my wife. Now, when we shut down, when we close off, when we don't open our heart, there's a sequence of events that are possible and I've seen it, I've counseled it, I experienced it. So it's not something I don't know about personally. Four bullet points in your notes. And this is going to help somebody in this room. The first thing is, the shutdown shuts out. Once you shut down, once you close off your heart, you start to shut out that person you're supposed to share your life with. Any amens on that one? Any amens on that one? In other words, I won't let me out. You won't let you out. Let me tell you what I found. Some of the most successful people the hard-driven people who are accomplishing so much are the most shut-down emotional people I've met. They're so great out there in the world. They're so great getting this done, this done, but they come home and it's just like, they're just shut down. It's like they can compartmentalize this whole thing and they're great at that, but they're not great at this. Isn't that amazing? But the shut, the shut down leads to the shut out. But it doesn't stop right there. Watch this. The shut out leads to misinterpretation. In other words, you don't know what's going on in that person's mind. You don't know what's happening. And now you are forced to mind read. How many of you are good mind readers? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Let me see how many mind readers. Shut up. You're terrible at it, okay? <laughs> Nobody can read minds. It's like, oh, I know what they're thinking. <laughs> Do you now? The Bible says only the spirit of that person inside the person knows what that person is thinking. Oh, but you know. I know, okay? Let me say it again. Shut up, okay? God. But here's the problem. When you're in a relationship with somebody and they're shut down, the other person is now forced to mind read what's going on inside of them. Am I right? You start to guess, and you guess wrong. Right? Right? Wrong. Right? No, I'm just joking. Okay. Okay, second service, I get goofy. Now, then the third bullet point after all this leads to this. Both feel alone in the relationship. Oh, why? Because I'm a three-part being. I'm body, soul, and spirit. My body needs food. How many of you always take in food? Oh, a few of you eat. Good, okay. And then also, uh, I'm, I'm a spirit. So I need the Word of God in my life regularly, daily. Like I need food. I need spiritual food for my spirit, right? 
but I'm also a soul, mind, will, emotion. There's an emotional part of me that needs emotional connection with other people. Am I right? But the problem is, when we shut down, we shut out. The shut out leaves a misinterpretation. I start to mind read. And pretty soon, we start to feel very alone because I need the connection. But it's not there anymore. And then what happens? Now the danger zone begins. That's the fourth one. When we feel alone, we begin to look dot, 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 elsewhere. Oh, that's a danger zone now. Oh, I wish I'd have met her before I met this one. Right? Am I right? Look, I watch ID channel. I know, okay? <laughs> Let me give you a balanced truth. And just so you know, the, the, so you understand, so because under, whenever I, and I don't, I don't counsel anymore because it, it, it would be all-consuming. But in your relationship, here's the balanced truth. And I try to help people see that. And when they see it, they go, oh, when you're in a relationship where the other person is shut down and they're not sharing and they're not opening up and they're not talking, you will conclude that they don't love you, right? In a high percentage of the cases, you'd be so wrong. They do love you. But they're so broken emotionally, relationally. They're so wounded. Their trust has been trampled on growing up years that they just don't know how. They'd love to get near you. They'd love to, but they just don't know how. It's just, it's just scary. They're afraid. Which leads to the third thing today, and that's this. Fear restrains feelings. Now, here we go, guys. This is where we drill down. How many of you guys like to hear stories from my life? You want me to share some? I bet you would, huh? Yeah, as long as you share yours, I'm not sharing mine, Jim. Look at verse 10, Genesis 3. He said... After God says, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you, God, in the garden. And I was, and I was, free. because I was naked, so I hid myself. He goes, I hid myself, I, I shut down. I was afraid. You know, it's interesting. All my life till my mid-30s, at 33, I started to say, okay, I got problems here. I got a this is when I started to work on it. But all my life up to that point, I'd always tell, there was a few phrases I always tell myself, and one was this, I'm not afraid of anything. <laughs> That's so stupid, huh? <laughs> and then about age 35, two years into trying to heal up, I remember one day I sat I was like, I think I'm afraid of everything. And I know I'm afraid of what people think of me. And you know, when you start to admit stuff like that, it's so freeing that you can finally say what's true. But fear, fear causes you to shut down and to hide. What kind of fear? Fear of rejection, fear of abandonment. You won't like the real me. Now let me say something about that real quick. Just give you a commercial. How many like trailers at the movies? How many like to sit through like 30 minutes of trailers before that movie starts, right? I like trailers. Here's a trailer. Next Sunday. Next Sunday, four, week four and five are connected. They, they put on the fig leaves, which means they're covering up and rejecting the image of God they've been created in. Am I right? That's the first of the two. Then in two weeks, they put the fig leaves on. 
The week before, they're covering up and rejecting the image of God they've created, but now they put the fig leaves on, and now they're projecting and recreating a new image because they've rejected the image of God. Do you ever think about that? Well, we're going to dig that one out in the next two weeks, so if you're not here, well, you lost, okay? No, I'm joking. Now, <clears throat> but the, the, the fear is rejection, abandonment. You won't like the real me. Fear of feelings. I had this problem about 95 to 95% of who I was. And once I started to face up the stuff and dig things out, then I started talking to people and helping them after years of first trying to figure it out in my own life. And man, I've heard some stories. It's incredible how common this one is. It's amazing to me. You know, can I tell you something I do when I used to counsel? So if you ever talk to me, this is what's coming at you. And just so you know, if every time, I'm the one they consider not the nice counselor. Just so you know. Because I'm going to go for your juggler like in eight seconds. I, I don't know any other way. I just really don't. I wish I did. Pastor Eric, he's so loving. And I'm like John the Baptist on the other side. I go, bring him here. No, I don't. <laughs> but here's what I, here's what I, and, and I'm not proud of it. I'm just real, I'm just, I don't know. I'm just not good at that. Um, but what I try to show people is this. What I learned about myself and then I show people. I'll let somebody talk and let them talk and let them talk and I'm listening and I'm listening. And they'll say one thing over here on some questions I've asked. And then 10, 20 minutes go by and they'll say something over here that completely contradicts what they said over here. And I go, stop. Wait a minute. You just said this right now. Yeah, I said that. But wait a minute. Let's back up 20 minutes. You just said this over there. That completely contradicts this, what you said over there. Which one is it? And they're like. And then I tell them, let me show you what you just did. Here's what's going on in your life. And I've done this with so many people. And when you finally accept it and realize it, it's very freeing. And it helps you start to heal. The 40-year-old over here, whatever you are, 40-year-old over here intellectually told me this statement. But over here, when you make a contradictory statement in the middle of this and this, what happened is the 40-year-old doesn't talk to me, the 10-year-old is talking to me. The emotional 10-year-old over here is talking to me, and they're stuck in a 40-year-old body. Any amens of that one? And I can tell you how I can prove that. You ever seen somebody who's 30, 25, 40, they throw a tantrum? You ever seen that one? How old are they in that moment? Is that a grown-up? Is that what grown-ups do? That's not what they do, huh? How many of us get so mad inside and blow up in this and that? Is that what a grown-up does? No, it doesn't do that, huh? No, you can always tell, and I try to tell people, look, there's a difference between your physical and intellectual age and your emotional age. I'll be honest, I got stuck in elementary school. I was 32 and I finally said I got to do something, but I was about eight years old emotionally. And when I finally realized that, I had to grow my emotions up because, by the way, should you let an eight-year-old drive the car? Should you let an eight-year-old emotional person run your relationship? No, but how many people live that way? And they wonder, I don't know why it doesn't work for me. Well, because you're eight is why. Emotionally, you go back down to that emotional place where you got stuck at back in 19-whatever, and you never grew it up, and you wonder why it keeps blowing up. Well, the abnormal becomes normal. 
And then once that's over, you shift into your 30-year-old mindset or 20-year-old mindset, but you're stuck back there. And I try to show people this. And once they see and accept, they go, oh my gosh, I never saw that. Well, I didn't either until I had to see it. Now, that was a free one, by the way, okay? Okay, you guys want to hear my story? Yes or no? I'll, I'll, I'll go to Fantastic Sam's and eat right now. Have a real nice breakfast burrito there, you know. And their hot sauce is good too. Okay, here we go. I was 22 years old, probably nearing 23. And I knew I had a problem. I just, uh, I remember, I, I, I just couldn't keep a relationship going. I had no ability to keep a relationship going. I would fall in love or whatever I thought love was. And it would go two months, three months, maybe five. And I'm not kidding. When I, all these things I'm going to tell you now, they're not exaggerations. I share these things to help people. Then I would wake up one day after two, three, four, five months. And I'd have no feelings for that person whatsoever. Nothing. It was shut down. And so I'd have to make some weird excuse to break up. And I'd look back on the excuses I made up. I'd go, oh my gosh. Now, let me flash forward into my 30s and I realized why that was happening. One of the reasons besides the shutdown. My abandonment issues were so strong in my life. They were so deep rooted in my life. I finally realized in my 30s, like over 10 years later after I finally realized, so, so, and I wasn't Christian when I said I got a problem. But I realized I was breaking up with them before they broke up with me. Even though they never gave any hint, inference, nothing that they were ever going to break up with me. But I realized that my abandonment issues were so powerful, so strong, so embedded that I didn't want to feel rejected. And so I would shut down and I would break up so nobody could hurt me. Do you know how frustrating that is? Do you know how frustrating that is? It's terrible. I couldn't tell anybody. I was 22, 23 years old. I didn't get saved till like a year later. Because remember the power of the secret? I'm the only one who's got this problem. Since I'm the only one, I'm not going to talk to anybody because they won't understand. Remember the power of the secret? So I'm not going to share anything. So that keeps it more powerful. <laughs> About four months ago, five months ago, my wife knows this. I showed her everything I was going to share because if I talk to a female online, I want my wife to know what's going on. I don't want any secrets there. I like tacos. Her tacos. I'm not going to risk that, okay? But somebody hit me up from way in my past. And it was, they don't know what they were telling me, but they were really still hurt with me. And what it was is this thing happened to me with her where I just shut down and I was like, done. And it hurt her bad and it put her in a tough situation. 
This was 50 years ago. 50. Every time I run into someone that I've heard in my past, I try to fix it. I apologize. Because she says, I watch you here and there online, and I don't know how you can be a preacher, you know, this and that. But, and mind you, there are people out there that say that about me, and I've done nothing to them. But they're just angry people. But this was a real case. And so I showed my wife this and that. I, I, I got her email, I emailed her back, and I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for hurting you. 50 years ago. And then she thanked me and this and that. And then I thought, I need to tell her one more thing. And I shared in a nutshell about my life back then. What I realize now as an older man, that I had no ability to carry a long-term relationship. Growing up in an alcoholic's home, I had to shut down my emotions to survive. And I learned to do that. And that's what happened in that relationship. So I said to her, I go, it had nothing to do with you. It just had to do with all the pain and the hurt in my life. I was just surviving. That's all I was doing. And she graciously emailed back and said, you know, we all have problems. I've got problems I've had to deal with and this and that. And it ended up really good. Really good. Now, at 22, like I said, 23, I knew I had a big problem. And then I become a Christian at 23. And my one of my first, I'll never forget, one of my thoughts was, I don't have that problem anymore. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know how the usual suspects you're delivered from at the moment you're a Christian? You know, alcohol I didn't want anymore. Cussing, I didn't, I wasn't dropping cuss words anymore. No more F-bombs coming out of my mouth. You, Jim? Yeah, me. Didn't want to smoke pot anymore. I was done with all that stuff. I thought, first, it's wasting my money, and if I have peace in my life, what do I need alcohol and pot for? So I just, you know, I, I don't need these things anymore. I wasn't out there hunting down girls at the clubs and stuff anymore. That ended immediately. And I thought, I'm delivered from this, this thing about I can't carry on relationship. Well, it's not true. Because some things are deliverance overnight and some things are like learning to fly a helicopter, right? You have to learn to fly a helicopter. You have to unlearn and you have to relearn. And this is one. I thought I was healed. I wasn't. But I didn't know. Because the test was a relationship. I meet Olivia. Poor Olivia. We date. We get married. What I say now, I'm not exaggerating. This is not an exaggeration. On the honeymoon, she cried. She knew something was off. And I knew that my emotions had shut down. The guy she thought she married, where'd he go? We were driving, I remember coming up from Carmel through San Francisco, cutting across, I think it's Highway 50. And we're cutting through the state, going to Lake Tahoe. And it was on that road there somewhere, she began to cry. And I knew why she was crying. Because I wasn't this person, and now I didn't know what to do. Because it happened again. How do I fix me? <laughs> Our second anniversary, no lie, it's not an exaggeration, you can ask my wife, she'll testify to this. We go out to dinner for anniversary. Second anniversary. I don't think we said 10 words to each other. 
How brutal is that? To sit across from the person you're married to and you've got nothing to say. It's like, oh my gosh. And that's where the lies begin, huh? You start, the lies start to spin in your head, remember? You start to look elsewhere, remember? Then you start to think things like, well, maybe this marriage was a mistake. Because some of you have thought that. Hmm. Maybe we'd be better off with somebody else. And some of you have thought that. Enter an old lie into my mind that I had grown up with in my teens and early 20s, and I believed it, and now the lie came back. Because Satan's smart. He's so, Satan is patient. And the lie came back that said in my head, and I remember I believed it with all my heart, said, Jim, the lie was that I would be divorced by the time I was 30, that you couldn't maintain a relationship. This is what I believed before as a Christian. You just can't maintain it. And so these things are spinning in my head now. All the while, I'm a student ministries pastor. Isn't that crazy? Do Christians go through problems? Do Christians have old baggage? Yeah. Let me tell somebody in this room what you need to know right now because right now, somebody in this room, somebody watching, you're about to make a dumb mistake. Leaving and going with somebody else solves nothing. And here's why. Because you take you with you. Am I right? So you're going to ruin this person's life, go over here and ruin that person's life. Why don't you just stay here and fix yourself and start admitting to yourself you got some issues, right? Now, I'll give you a symptom. Because I was shut down, we're going to be here till five, right? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'd really like to, but... So here was a symptom that I started to notice and I coined it after when I started to heal up later on. I coined it verbal jabs. I have all these little phrases I've given to these things over the years. Olivia would give me verbal jabs. She'd say these hard lines to me, these hard lines. And I used to think, she is so mean. <laughs> and she is. No. <laughs> but she'd give me verbal jabs. I'd think, why is she doing this? Well, I didn't understand at the time. But after, you know, save 10 years and start working on myself, start realizing and reading a lot of books on my issues and everything, I start to realize, I know why she's doing it. She's doing it because they, this is their, her verbal jabs are like the verbal jaws of life. That there's a guy in there that I used to know that was real cool when we dated and he's shut down there and I've got to get the verbal jaws of life and open him up. And so she would verbally jab me and verbally jab me to try to get some kind of response. And guess what I would do? Shut down. Just shut down. All she was really saying was this, Jim, where are you? Where are we at here? What's going on, Jim? Here's... What I didn't know back then and what I started to learn was this, that my world was broken and all I was doing was guarding my heart from being hurt again. I didn't want to be hurt again. But here's the problem with that. To enter into a relationship and then you enter into marriage, aren't you supposed to give them your whole heart? But if you're not giving them the whole heart, you've got a fragmented marriage. 
Am I right? I mean, and then Adam's hiding from God, and if we're guarding our heart, doesn't, didn't Jesus say, I'm to love God with my whole heart? How can I do that? If I'm guarding my heart, I'll never give my whole heart to God. And yet, that's what Christianity demands, that my entire life is just given to God. That's what's supposed to happen. Now, I realized in this time that things were getting worse and worse. Now, there came this moment in time. Now, Olivia says she didn't say this word. We've been debating on it for 35 years. And last night I said, you said it. She, whenever I tell her, you know what you said, she knows exactly what I'm talking about. And I say she said it. She goes, I didn't say that word. You guys want to know what it was? I'll bet you do. <laughs> I come home. And I come home, and it was, I had just played Jesus in the Easter musical. And everybody's, oh, this guy's so great, this and that. They don't know Jim's got a wrecked marriage at home, that Jesus' marriage is suffering. And his wife would like to put him back on the cross for real. <laughs> I gotta write that down. That was really good. Um, I come home, and I'll never forget, we lived on Via del Rio in Cornita at the time. Our house was real little. I could probably put my arms out like this for the hallway. Had one bathroom that led this way, bedroom, bedroom, and then led into the little living room. And I walk in, and she met me, she met me in the hallway, and here's what she said. Here's what she said she didn't say that she did say, okay? She said, if you don't want to be here, get the hell out of here. <laughs> she said it. <laughs> and I thought, I don't want to get the hell out of here. <laughs> but all she wanted was my heart. And my heart was wounded, was protected. No, he's getting in there. So I was 30, 31, 32 as I was getting older. I was that age intellectually and physically, but I was about eight years old emotionally. That's what I was. She married a child. That's why I tell people I was not ready to get married. I was a mess. You know? But something happened. And how the things that changed my life, this certain event that took place in my life, I, I'll share it in like the seventh or eighth message, but it fits better there than it does here. But just know that something changed and caused me to start to open up and talk. It changed the cycle of my life. But it's something that after the fact, and I realize it, I, it's something I saw in Jesus' life. <clears throat> Watch what Jesus does. And this is Jesus who's God in the flesh in Matthew chapter 26. This is Jesus knowing he's going to be arrested that night, tortured all night, and crucified in the morning. So you think he's feeling some pressure? You better believe it. Watch what he does. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. You know what's fascinating to me before I forget? This is happening in a garden. Back in a garden of Gethsemane, they were distancing themselves. Here in a garden, God in the flesh is connecting emotionally. Any amens on that one? Verse 39. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face 
and prayed saying my father if it is possible let this cup pass from me yet not as I will but as you will stop some people say all I need to do is talk to God there it is right there did you not read verse 37 and 38 yeah he talked to God about his problems and, but he also talked to Peter James and John three human beings and he made certain statements let me tell you what they mean when he says I'm grieved it literally means I have hurt and I have sorrow is he opening up? Is God in the flesh opening up? Then he says, I'm distressed. It means troubled. I'm troubled. And then he says, I'm deeply grieved. And that means a deep, deep sadness. He's sharing. He's opening up. He's talking. I started to read stuff like that after I started to realize I got problems. And it's a slow process to open up and talk. And now, honestly, to be honest with you, I, you know, I, I tell my wife, am I talking too much? because I talk a lot and I like to hear myself talk by the way no I'm just joking and just so some of you get some hope this long ago this a week from today my wife and I will be married 40 years okay so you know God do some good stuff but she said that to me okay so what I had to learn and it was it was process was to open up admit and share what's going on inside of me so <clears throat> I like movies. I'm a movie guy. Here's how I'm going to try to land this plane, okay? I know last week I kind of hurt you by talking about Shang-Chi after two days out. So, But today I want to talk about Goodwill Hunting. Ever seen that movie? Oh, man. When I watched that movie over 20 years ago, I felt like it was my life story. I thought, who wrote the book on Jim Del Campo? But let me tell you, for those who don't know, Matt Damon plays Will Hunting, and he's a mess. He's a young man. He's broken. He's wounded. Fractured family. He's angry. He cannot relate. He can't get near people. He keeps him at bay with his superior knowledge, by the way. And he gets in trouble with the law. And one of the things he has to do so he doesn't go stay in jail is he has to agree to get counseling. So he is brought to Sean, played by the late, great Robin Williams. He comes into Sean's office, and if you remember, how many have seen that movie? Just curious. If you remember, he comes in the office, and Sean's sitting down, and Matt Damon is walking around. And Matt Damon is trying to size up Sean by looking at everything in his office, because Matt Damon's really smart. And then he focuses, remember that picture? It's that picture of a guy in a little rowboat out on the sea in a storm all by himself. And Matt Damon picks up on something from there. And he starts probing with Sean. And he finds out some certain things. And when Matt Damon finds it out, if you remember Matt Damon's face, he goes, because now he's got Sean. And he starts using that picture and, and hitting on Sean, telling him certain things. And Sean admits that my wife died and then Matt Damon starts drilling deeper and deeper and deeper. See what Matt Damon is doing is once the probing questions came, Matt Damon was diverting back the other way. Am I right? And that's what we do. That's what we do to protect ourselves. Once the probing questions come, I'm going to divert. I found the weakness in Sean and he starts to hit Sean and Sean because his wife passed away, Sean got he got upset. Robin Williams comes and gets him and he shakes him. He goes, 
he goes, if you ever talk that way about my wife again, I will end you. And then Sean has to relax. But then Sean thinks about it. And he meets with Matt Damon again. Do you remember where they meet the second time? In a park. Because Sean, it's a brilliant move. Because Sean strips away everything that would be connected to himself so Matt Damon can't find anything else. He, he diffuses him. And they're sitting on that bench. And then Robin Williams starts probing and he starts telling him stuff. And he reads Matt Damon like a book. And he tells him straight. He just wrecks Matt Damon. And Robin Williams says, I'm in. I'm in the council. I'm in. You got me. And he walks away. And Matt Damon is just sitting there. Because he knows this guy. He's got him. He read him. But Matt Damon also knows he doesn't want to talk to people. He doesn't want to open up. He just wants to be angry and, he, and, and, and frustrated and unable to connect with people. So the, the counseling begins now. And so many weeks, week after week, Matt Damon just sits there for an hour, doesn't say a word. And finally one day he starts talking. And they start building trust. And more trust. Because that's what Matt Damon has never had. He's never had anybody he could really talk to and trust in an authority figure. And then there comes that moment. And it's the moment. And mind you, it's a movie. People don't heal so fast. But it's a great moment where they're talking and in the office and Sean steps up close to Matt Damon and they're about two, three feet away and Sean says to Matt Damon, he goes, it wasn't your fault, son. Matt Damon's, yeah, yeah, you know, I know. He goes, no, it wasn't your fault. Sean, I, I know. He steps away. It wasn't your fault. And then it gets real serious with Matt Damon. And he's like, Sean, don't, and expletive, don't blank with me. Not you, Sean, not you. And Sean says, it wasn't your fault. And there comes that moment where Matt Damon just falls into Sean's arms and he just cries and cries cries and cries all the pain all the hurt all the lack of trust all the wounding all the times his heart's been stomped on all the people that walked away from him the rageaholic whoever in the family the alcoholic the drug addiction the parents that fought whatever it was everything starts coming out all the ugly names people would call us growing up everything all the pain all the pain it just starts coming out and he's crying and he's crying and he's crying and that's the breaking point for him that's where things start to change and what's cool about this is at the very end of the movie after that, see, the, the thing that Matt Damon was struggling with is there's this girl, Minnie Driver, Skyler. And he was, he liked her, she liked him, but he didn't think he was going to continue because he's so used to distance. I don't get close to people. I can't trust people. And the cool thing is at the end of the movie, she has now left the Boston area to go to the West Coast to study. And Matt Damon chases after, goes after him. Because now he's ready for a relationship. Now he knows he can let his heart out. 
Now he knows he can connect. Now he knows what life is really about. Look, I say all that to tell you, look, I'm the living example of that. I was so locked down. I was so hurt inside. I had so much fear of abandonment. I was so angry. I couldn't connect. I just couldn't connect. But finally one day I said, okay, God, I got problems. And this is affecting everything. And it sure is hurting my wife. And I just started to change and face up and learn and, and not blame other people. Just it's my problem. I have my problem now. I'm not going to blame my dad. It's my problem now. And it changed and it kept changing. And I'm not done. I'm 32 years down the road of working on me with the Holy Spirit's power. And as I will work on me till the day I die. It's not over, but it's way better. Jesus can make your life better. But it starts with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't do it any other way. You can't do it any other way. It takes Jesus. And you've got to surrender that heart to him. And the more you do, it's better. Little by little by little by little. So if you've never placed your faith in Jesus as Messiah, Lord, Savior, God, here or at home. And I'm going to give you this chance right now. Let's do it. I did it 42 years ago. I never regretted it. But this is the beginning point. It's the beginning point. And remember, Christianity, all religions are the same. No, 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 no. Only one has someone, God, who came to earth and died and rose from the dead, which is evidenced by people historically evidence. Ours is not a blind faith, it's an evidence based faith. All the other religions of the world, they tell you that you are going to make it to heaven or whatever the concept is by what you do. All your good works. Christianity says no. You can't work your way to heaven. You're not good enough. You're a sinner. God had to come down to you in the form of Jesus Christ. That's the difference. All religions are not the same. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with God. But I want to offer you that right now. You know the Holy Spirit's tugging on you. It's time to give your life to Christ. It's time to put your hands, your, your life in His hands and watch that He can be trusted. So at home, here, I'm going to say this prayer. All of you here, say it out loud with me. And if you're in this room and you want to place your faith in Christ, say it out loud, put your faith in Christ. At home, do the same thing. So here we go. Close your eyes, bow your head, please. Here we go. Repeat after me. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me so much that you would die for me, that you would carry my sins on your body. Forgive me of my sins, and I know I'm forgiven. I place my trust in you. Thank you for saving me. Now let me pray. God, I just pray for everyone who said that prayer. Get around Christians. They'll show you the way. You could talk to somebody right after service here. They'll show you the way. You can go to the Connect Center. They'll show you the way. You can go online, our church online. It'll show you the way. 
but you need to start getting yourself in fellowship and church worship God start reading the New Testament stay there if you're a New Testament believer start reading about the one who saved you Jesus it's a great walk it's a great lifestyle and it's the only lifestyle thank you Jesus for saving people today thank you Lord God in Jesus name we pray and we all said amen and amen would you stand up with me please If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.